De Gea, I think, yes. Not being an expert in the, the Spanish language, but it um, appears to be how uh, Spanish types on Sky Sports are uh, calling him at the moment, so I'm going to go with that one. By Spanish types on Sky Sports, do you mean Guillaume Balaguer? Guillaume Balaguer. But of course, he's got a hard G there, hasn't he? Mm. Yeah, but it's at the beginning, it's a, whole, it's a whole complicated linguistic thing, which we are not experts in. What we might be classed as experts in is watching slightly subpar Manchester United performances away from home. I have to say, though, very exciting that we got the three points something that we were not doing last season no exactly five victories on the road all season last year one one already and i mean i think on the balance play just about deserved uh, from the west brom game over at the hawthorns there game managed to go ahead despite the locality burning in the week beforehand and thought united started really well but in the second half probably could have shipped a few more goals it wasn't quite the same intensity of performance so in the end an excellent three points to come away with yeah absolutely it was very much much, especially in the second half, it was very much like those away performances last season, where there was a, a lack of penetration, perhaps, and an inability to break down what is, and I think will be all season, an extremely well-organised side. I think three points at the Hawthorns is not going to be something that a huge number of teams come away with this season, because I think West Brom, they look like a typical Roy Hodgson side, incredibly well-drilled, very solid in their positioning, and with some real creativity and distribution. Uh, power going forward. Shane Long looks a player and Chachi I thought had a, an excellent game for West Brom. But from a United perspective the starting lineup incredibly exciting. So youthful dynamic, full of energy and since we lost Rio and Nemanja early in the game it became a team full of youngsters again. Yeah it really did. I mean obviously the, the bold decision to start with Welbeck and cleverly as opposed to Berbatov and Carrick and maybe that's the out with the old guard in with the new and I, I guess each of them deserved that starting position based on their performance in the Community Shield a week or so ago. And I guess United started with that kind of same youthful vigour that uh, the side had had at Wembley. I mean, you're right about a couple of key injuries there to Rio and Vidic, and we'll, we'll get onto that in a little bit, but it meant that the defence by the uh, the end of the game was 20, 21, 20 and 19, uh, and you're not going to get much younger than that for about five. Absolutely not in the Premiership. Uh, Dia really, really did not do well enough for the goal. I wanted to talk briefly about how in the build-up to the West Brom goal, uh, Fabio made a real howler and then really struggled to get the ball back. I have a friend at Joe Diego 24 on Twitter if you want to follow him. He's absolutely convinced that Fabio can't play at left-back, that that people just sort of assume he'll be able to do it, but it's he just can't do it. He just makes too many mistakes when he plays at left-back. I'm not sure that was a positional mistake. What, I mean, what he did do is allow Chochi to come uh, inside and then just basically outmuscle him and that, that was a mistake I mean he should have either got the tackle in or got gold side quicker and used his pace and he didn't allow that to happen and that was a bad mistake because no one talked about it because of De Gea's error which which was a bad error I mean I, I don't think that uh, given a striker putting in a ball of that pace which wasn't great would be the top keeper sort of 99 times out of 100 so yeah pretty pretty bad error from De Gea but actually uh, all round a pretty solid game I thought from De Gea and uh, I watched I watched the game again after watching it last Sunday and yeah because he came away with a feeling oh 
maybe he actually did, really did have a stinker and, and maybe he couldn't deal with the high balls and maybe he was nervous all the time. But actually, for the for the two high balls that he did drop, one, he got clattered in the face with an elbow and the Absolutely. second one, it was a massive body check. Ferguson made this point afterwards. And I don't think it's really just me defending a, a United player. I think there were two very obvious fouls on the goalkeeper that the referee didn't didn't spot or chose not to do anything with and, and West Brom attempted to rough him up, uh, which, which of course they managed to do. And I guess if De Gea had the frame of Peter Schmeichel, they wouldn't be able to do that quite so easily. I mean, I, I want to talk about it a little because I've seen a lot of both sides of the coin of reaction. I mean, the, the kind of media outcry of, you know, oh, he's the new Massimo Taibbi, this is a complete waste of money, which is obviously absolute nonsense, but also the, a kind of overreaction the other way from United fans in some ways, a kind of, no, he'll definitely make it. And it's way too early to make any snap judgments. And, and of course, it is way too early to make any snap judgments, but he's played in one competitive game and one sort of half competitive game for United so far and made a significant mistake, which led to a goal in both of those games. And that's definitely not what you need at the start of your career as a United goalkeeper. No, right. Well, there's a, there's an extra degree of pressure and scrutiny and, and the world's media is on him and he's a very expensive purchase and all that. Look, I, let's not pretend that Atletico are a village team though, and he, he's come from playing in front of two people. Uh, he's been used to playing a Vincente Calderon, which is an extremely demanding set of fans and, and they are you know, effectively Spain's third side. So they, they, they're the, the Arsenal of Spain or something like that. So they, they're a big side. He's been used to playing uh, under pressure. He's taken it all on board. The, the way he went from being uh, Atleti's third choice keeper a couple of seasons ago to taking over the reins, taking them to the UEFA Cup final. And he, he played every single game in La Liga last season. This is not a guy who uh, buckles under pressure. He's made two bad mistakes, but I wouldn't expect by the end of the season that we'll be talking about him as a failure. I don't believe it for a start. Uh, interesting uh, from uh, Guillaume Balaguer, I mentioned him again, his tweet uh, the other day, which was something along the lines of, uh, are people really questioning De Gea, uh, saying he's the new Massimo Taibi? Ha 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 ha. There'll be a lot of humble pie eaten by the end of the season. I think he's right. I mean, I watch enough Spanish football, a lot of it actually. I think Mrs. Rant would say that uh, far too much of it. And um, I've seen him play loads of times because uh, Atletico are a very attractive side and that they were featured on La Liga's, you know, Sky's coverage of La Liga quite a lot last season. No, no doubt he was a he's a top keeper and I think he'll come through it. Um, we had a question from at MGZ93 on Twitter. Do we think that the media's harsh criticism of De Gea is further evidence of an agenda against Manchester United? I, I can't accept the premise of the question because it says further evidence of an agenda against Manchester United. I'm, I'm not sure that, that, that such an agenda truly exists. Um, I'm sure it does for some individual journalists but but not uh, the media as a whole I don't think they really ha- right. have an agenda but what I, what I wanted to say in response to that is it's not a reflection that the media has an agenda against Manchester United it's a reflection that stories about Manchester United sell papers or get clicks on websites or get people to watch their tellies because it's an exciting story when it's connected to Manchester United either there's huge numbers of people who love United and, and equally huge numbers of people who are kind of fascinated by them but hate them it's all about what you know, gains coverage it's, it's one of the reasons why United um, is on the telly so much as well because it, the club draws a huge audience and, and yes I, I wouldn't say uh, it, it's an agenda gender against United although I mean you, you said it's about getting clicks and, and getting eyeballs and stuff like that uh, we wouldn't see the opposite a barrel load of praise just for the sake of it because it doesn't make a very good story so uh, the hair failing in some you know small way at the start of his 
career it, it definitely is a story uh, and it's about Manchester United so it's amplified and I think that's what we're seeing at the moment people have characterised it as the, the media wishing failure on him and I don't think that's the case other than it is a good story uh, Two things to say in response to that One, I think that if you look at the amount of column inches devoted to Chicharito last season you'll see that actually good news stories do also get huge amounts of attention and two if you look at the coverage of Cristiano Ronaldo and his I guess 0708 year there was the same kind of fanatical attention paid to United player is world superstar kind of stories no no I didn't say it won't get covered but it, it's not the same kind of story in fact uh, I would say that a national newspaper it's very very hard to put a positive profile piece of that nature uh, unless you have an interview let's revisit through the season but i would suggest that is probably the case now online with their blog sections uh, and this has given journalism a, a new lease of life in a way because uh, it's given journalists a, a bit more freedom to to write in different ways there will be a greater range of coverage but uh, and, and of course that's to compete with with people like united rant and and uh, fan-based opinion too yeah absolutely we we've had another question which ties into the west brom game which comes from at J Duke underscore our current reigning official number one Canadian fan although I understand there's competition from various sources for that position but the question is uh, how fit does our team look we must be the fittest team in the Premier League will this mean we'll have a great start and doesn't Rooney look like he's lost weight he also goes on to talk about Rooney's hair which I refuse to give coverage to <laughs> um, although it does look pretty impressive for a for a transplant job I've not, it's not an Elton John catastrophe is it by any means no 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 he's, he's alright he's, uh, he's filled in the widow's peak a little bit it's not it's not completely round like it looked uh, after the surgery to start with but I think his haircut's come out straight out of full metal jacket hasn't it I mean he looks like he's uh, in the narm about to blow away some gooks that's a terrible word but yeah I don't know I'm, I'm all for like going bald gracefully if you're going to lose your hair just, just let it go man if you want to be bald, do what I did. Wait a while. Yes, the, the seven words you can't say on the rank cast. Liverpool are very good now. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about the team's fitness is interesting. I, I think I mentioned it last week. I, I do think they look in really, really fine nick at the beginning of this season. They do. And we had a very long pre-season and seven games, I think it was, in total pre-season. So they've come out of the blocks flying and they do look fit. They look significantly fitter than Manchester City. And we'll, we'll see whether that's a benefit in the long run or not. I mean, certainly, I think Ferguson's looked at the opening sort of eight weeks or so of the season and, and United are playing all of the big clubs. And, and there's Arsenal and Chelsea back-to-back coming up and some really tough games there and then the Champions League kicks in in, in mid-September as well so I think he uh, thought yeah we really need to get going fast and that's going to be really important whether that will have an effect at the back end of the season because then we, we might find some tiredness there and he's going to have to rotate his squad and so having injuries so early in the season probably won't help either well it's okay because he'll buy Wesley Schneider in January to uh, complement the the tiring squad at that point yeah I don't... yeah sure yeah before we move on to the West Brom game it was of course the competitive debut of Ashley Young or na 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 Ashley Ashley Young it broke out and it was enthusiastically seized upon by the travelling support so I guess we're stuck with it but I'm not convinced it scans well it, well, it really doesn't I mean the whole point about Nicky Nicky but was there was a little bit of alliteration a little bit so. yeah exactly 
Na na Nikki. It works. Na na Ashley. I'm not convinced. Um, but but it was it was lovely to see how enthusiastically the support greeted. Well, I, I was about to call it his goal. Of course, it wasn't his goal, but it was uh, of his making. Uh, I thought a fine fine competitive debut, and and literally he was the reason that we got the goal that we perhaps wouldn't have got last season. So I, it's obviously reading too much into it to say that that's that his being there is why we won the game. But but it was it was exciting to see. He, he offered loads of penetration all game. I thought, I thought he was United's best player by some distance, really. And, and he's constantly prepared to run at players, flexible, it, not just going inside and crossing other. That's his preferred option, I think. But but I mean, the fact was that the goal came from Young going outside the defender and then and then whipping in the ball. And it's good to see that he can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I was very pleased to see it. And he, he he looks every inch the United player, doesn't he? I, I wasn't convinced he would. Well, well, he's very quickly come up to the speed of the rest of the, the team very very quickly and that was the question wasn't it uh, you know if you, if you put United players in you know, acquisitions in two camps those that uh, we hope come up to the level of the team and those we hope improve the team he was definitely in the former and I, I don't think I mean he's he's a more attacking option than part I mean Nani could play there but we've discussed many times that he, he clearly performs better when he's on the right so I, I think Young will get a fair amount of games and he's probably already first choice there certainly ahead of Antonio Valencia's return yeah absolutely and I mean I think he's he's first choice on the left wing once Valencia's back I, I think that Nani was back to being Nani again uh, after his best game ever for United as he called it in the community shield he looked dangerous and like potentially he could do something brilliant at any moment but he squandered two guilt edge chances gave the ball away a lot just was very Nani-ish but I think either he or Valencia's first choice on the right but there's no way Nani's first choice on the left ahead of Ashley Young uh, I mean I wouldn't say he was any more talented he, he just looks more no. comfortable there and they're both right-footed and, and and in many ways they're identical players aren't they you know can go left can go right but but young just uh, seems to feel more comfortable and i guess it's because he's played an awful lot of his career in that position yeah absolutely so uh we'll come on to a preview of the spurs game at the end of the show and i'm trying to work out now which i want to talk about less united's ownership or united's injury crisis and i, I think should we get the injury crisis stuff out of the way and then come on to the ipo let's let's get the injury crisis stuff out of the way because it's it's relevant coming out of the West Brom game because for all the positives of winning that game and getting the three points some pretty bad negatives as well with, with injuries so Rio Ferdinand who looks like he'll be out for six weeks hamstring strain and of course with his history of back problems they they are definitely related and, and Vidic it seems like he's got trapped nerve and will be a couple of weeks having said that he's had a trapped nerve before and was out for sort of three months so let's, uh, let's see whether that actually cures itself I think a couple of weeks is a guess in fact i know it's a guess and we'll see whether that happens soon and then evra may or may not be back for the spurs game a little little bit of a calf problem there and then of course Raphael did it on friday another dislocated shoulder and what's up with that kid's shoulder plastic isn't it or glass so it's uh, it's not good uh, and uh, we just have to hope that uh, we don't get any more injuries in in those positions yeah i mean the acquisition of phil jones looked to be a good one and now it looks to have been an absolutely vital one i have to say i don't feel quite the same as I did uh, last season when either Rio or Nemanja or you know worst case scenario both was out because we do have really adequate cover now we do it's just it's just the makeup yeah. of the back four I mean the one the one finished Smalling right Evans uh, Jones in the centre and, and Fabio left I mean it's fine it's, it's a good quality back four you'd, you'd ideally you'd want a lot more experience in there I wonder whether it's quite the right balance and if Evra's back whether they'll uh, shift Fabio to the right and Smalling into the centre with Phil Jones I mean the thing 
thing about the makeup of that back four that's crucial is you have two players not playing in their best positions in Smalling and Fabio because Smalling's been excellent at right back for someone who's he's not a right back you know he's a centre half who can play a bit and kind of understands the right back position well enough defensively um, but you, you know he can't cross the ball which is obviously very significant so so yeah I, I'd be totally comfortable if Evera was there and it was Evera Jones Smalling and Fabio I, th- I think that that's a pretty excellent back four actually yeah it is I mean cl- clearly not United's first and, and it will lack for experience and, and we'll see whether Spurs can take advantage of that I mean certainly neither Rio or Vidic will be back for that game oh although Nemanja Vidic I don't know might just scare that trap nerve out of place seems to have uh, been an ongoing problem the defensive injury crisis and I, I guess that's why Ferguson has looked to bring in players and, and give uh, Fabio and Raphael an early chance in their careers at Old Trafford I mean, it's, it's pertinent though because uh, O'Shea and Brown two experienced campaigners have both left now so we certainly wouldn't want any more injuries the very first episode of the Rankcast was a lot of it was spent talking about how we were in the middle of a, a terrible defensive injury crisis and and yeah I guess if Wes Brown was still at the club he would probably not be long before his name was on that uh, list of injured players as well given the, the run of injuries he's had in his career but but O'Shea was was a, well O'Shea also had a lot of injury problems didn't he so he did they, they both did and, that, and that's why Ferguson was was happy to let them go so I mean United will get through it but tough games coming coming up and certainly the Arsenal game on the 28th of August and Chelsea a week later are games that uh, we'd like at least one of Vidic or Rio back for I mean it looks unlikely that Rio will be back for those I mean it's, it's going to be interesting over the course of the season to see how big a role Rio plays because you know I, I think he's been hugely key to a lot of United successes in recent years I've talked about that at length but I, I do wonder if this season actually he's he's going to be less vital to United's success than he has been in the past because we have got so much better cover for him than we used to have right yes yeah I think that's right and then uh, he, he I mean he's spoken about it this week and he believes that sort of success breeds success at United and and, and it'll rub off on the young younger players I mean the thing is they're, they're going to be exposed to the very top level much earlier than perhaps Ferguson would have hoped I mean Smalling played over 30 games last season although an awful lot were at FA Cup Carlin Cup and uh, dead rubber Euro- European games uh, but he's 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 pretty you know he's for a young lad he's now becoming experienced at United and Jones hasn't had anywhere near that but but the quality of the player and his composure on the ball appears like he's you know slotted right in doesn't it he's been excellent when called upon already it's extraordinary and if De Gea can seal his place and reassure both the crowd and the back four that he's the man for the job then that that will be hugely significant as well I was thinking about goalkeepers at United because it's obviously been a vexed question over the years. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson has never brought through a young goalkeeper successfully. Yeah, he's, tr- he's tried a few. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, very very few that come through the youth ranks. I think Kevin Pilkington got a few games, didn't he, back in the, the early 90s, late 80s, uh, around about that time, but but never made the breakthrough. And there have been a few others at United have bought over the years. Uh, Luke Steele, Paul Redchubka, and so on, that, that didn't quite make it at the club. Uh, Connor Devlin left this summer. Uh, and, and then he's brought a few 
few younger ones. Tim Howard was pretty young when he joined United first time round. Didn't quite make it. Ditto Roy Carroll. He spent five years at United. I think he was only 23 when he joined the club. So it's a, it's a difficult position to be young. But, but Ferguson's convinced. Uh, he says that Petr Cech has changed his mind on this one. He's convinced that it's not about age, it's about ability. Um, which is which is fair enough. But uh, it's, uh, it's obviously one of those key positions where goalkeepers just tend to make less mistakes as they get into their late 20s. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. Right, talking of fascinating, what is an IPO? Why are we doing it in Singapore? Are the Glazers saying the club's worth $4 billion? Is the club worth $4 billion? And are you going to buy any shares? <laughs> a load of questions there. Well, an IPO, initial public offering, it's, it's where a private held company uh, goes to a stock exchange, can be anyone, and says, we're going to offer a certain amount of shares and here's our, our buy price. Uh, so that, that that's the that's the easy bit. The, the rest of it, is, it, I have to say, is a lot of speculation because as usual with the Glazers, there's very little information uh, that's actually concrete out there. It, it would appear from people who are in the know, and there's some heavyweight publications uh, write about this now. So uh, Reuters, IFR, Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal all came out about it and they, they you know, all well connected. So let's say there's some credibility to this story and that the, the, the family is definitely looking at an IPO as, as basically plan B for, for uh, paying down some debt. Plan A, of course, was to remove money from United's bank accounts uh, in a special dividend, which they had rights to do under the terms of the January 2010 bond and, and use that to pay back the picks. The Green and Coal campaign kind of spooked them, uh, basically. And there's plenty of evidence that, to say this is true rather than speculation. So they decided not to remove that money from United's bank account and refinance the picks in the States instead and moved United's ultimate parent company to Delaware. So we couldn't find anything about it because Delaware uh, doesn't require companies to provide any information. So plan A out of the window, plan B, how do we find some more money because they refinance those pick loans? Probably not at a favourable interest rate. So I'm sure they'd quite like to refinance that £249.1 million, uh, including the early redemption charges on the pick loans. And and IPO looks like it'll be the way they'll do it. And it'll be a partial IPO of some kind of speculation at about 25% of the club. And and the, I would say, marketing bluster at the moment is saying a billion dollars. Any form of enterprise valuation method you can think of will not value United at $4 billion. That's £2.4 billion pounds, uh, anywhere near that value uh, because uh, in terms of multiples of revenue or multiples of EBITDA or multiples of profit or you know, even adding in a billion dollars worth of goodwill brand value, quote unquote, we won't come to that figure. So I think that's marketing speak uh, from the underwriters who are, appear to be Credit Suisse. Did that all make sense? I'm frightened to say that it actually did. I've talked to you about this so many times. It is starting to make sense now, which which really is a worry. So Singapore, you say? Well, it looks like it, yeah. So the stories in June, it was in the Times and the Mirror and a few, and a few other publications picked up on it uh, when this, this, this idea that United might float first came about. It said Hong Kong, which is the much bigger market. It's also a, a market where there have been other uh, European retail IPOs, most notably Prada, recently and, and that went very successfully not all of them being successful samsonite wasn't so successful and it's the one that is more typical for european companies going to asia now singapore is very different it, it tends to be an institutional market and what i mean by that is that it's hedge funds buying rather than consumers and this gives us a clue into the glazer strategy here they may not offer these shares to consumers at all and, and in fact if i was a betting man that's where i put my money i think they'll probably offer it to institutions only and they may even go one further step 
and offer it at a guaranteed rate of return. And when you do that uh, with a share offering, which you can do, it makes it look a lot more like long-term debt. So we'll see. The minutiae of this will, will play out in time. But yes, in a way, Singapore surprising, in a way, not surprising. It really just depends whether they can build the kind of traction that you expect in Hong Kong, being the larger, more liquid market. In Singapore, institutional investors, some of them, pension funds, you know, they're, they're risk-averse and, and, and all of that. But if you offer a guaranteed return, remove all the risk and, and they'll get subscriptions for it. So a, a lot of little details to be ironed out. But uh, if that's their plan, it's an interesting one. I, I, and I kind of answered myself there in, in many ways. Uh, will fans be able to buy into it? Who knows? They might be precluded and it might just be institutional investors. Can an organization such as must buy into it? Even if consumers are allowed to buy into this IPO, will United fans have access to that? It's not that easy buying in a foreign stock exchange. You have to create a brokerage account. Lots of brokerage accounts have a minimum deposit a thousand dollars for example it's just an example i'm not saying this is exactly true um, but there are plenty of barriers to entry uh, and if we want a lot of united fans to put as much money as they possibly can into this and that's the ideal scenario because it actually give fans some some uh, share holding in the club and, and therefore access to the agm and all of that then that might be another barrier to that i mean presumably that that's terrible news for the glazers if, if fan ownership gets involved because doesn't that start them down a path that's going to be quite difficult to recover from well it depends on the size of ownership so at the prices we're talking about 175,000 must members putting a thousand pounds each into it is going to buy about five percent of the club right, so yeah. we're not talking about any kind of block that would cause the glazers any kind of trouble what they will get of course is more transparency because stock markets expect more transparency and they will have to answer uh, at an annual you know, general meeting once a year but, but uh, I wouldn't expect any of the Glazers to actually turn up for that would you if, if uh, the room was going to be filled with angry United fans? No absolutely not we, we kind of touched on this last week but we've been asked by at Saruman187 uh, whether Fergie's completed his transfers for this season and I, I mean I think all the noises coming out of the club would suggest that absolutely he has. Yes I mean there, there's still lots of speculation that behind the scenes Wesley Schneider is prepared to take a pay cut uh, but but of course Inter Wednesday said that there's no chance they'll let him go so uh, and Inter do tend to play out their transfers in the media so so maybe they're still angling but but I think the ball is in the Inter Schneider court here um, the fee has to come down and the wages have to come down otherwise no deal and, and United aren't looking anywhere else there is no plan B personally I don't think there'll be any more transfer business uh, I think I said this back in April what I thought would be the transfer business before the end of August and I'm sticking with that for now I might be pleasantly surprised I'd love to see Schneider there I mean it's not going to be a good financial deal as we've discussed but that'd be great it, it brings me back to one final point in the IPO though and I think this is a really important point because I've already seen some pretty poor media coverage of this saying they'll raise a billion dollars it could be used for strengthening against Chelsea and Manchester City in fact I think that was the Bloomberg report utter rubbish what will happen is United will not raise a billion dollars from 25% of the club because that is not the fair enterprise valuation for the club they're going to raise an awful lot less than that let's say even being optimistic it's 400 million or so 400 million take 250 million out of there straight away because uh, the Glazers will have to repay the loans in the states maybe they'll buy back another 150 million of bond debt of course they've uh, bought about 30 million 
million back last December and then uh, another block before that. So they've already bought some of those bond shares. So maybe they'll pay down 150 million pounds or so of bond debt. So it'll still leave United with a massive chunk of debt. No additional money to get spending on superstar players and certainly no reduction in ticket prices or anything like that because once you've got some institutional investors, what they're looking at is profitability. So there's a capital return on their shares. Share price goes up as the company's more profitable because more people want to buy into it. And a dividend, which uh, will be an annual payment and might make up for any lessening of interest rates uh, as a result of paying down bond debt. But something that's been driving me slightly crazy over the last couple of weeks is the number of people I've seen on Twitter saying United have spent £50 million on transfers this off-season. It proves that there's loads of money available to spend and there's no financial problems at the club. It's just beggar's belief that we're having these conversations. I believe that United have probably reduced their wage bill over the last season and that is obviously far more that's hugely significant in relation to transfer fees. Yes, in fact, Ferguson said it himself. He said he said losing five senior players has allowed him to spend and I think it was a bit of a slip of the tongue there because um, actually the net differential in, in terms of uh, wages off the wage bill and wages on the wage bill with a new players about 10 million a year. Funnily enough, over a five-year contract, that's how exactly how you'd amortise the cost of uh, United spending this summer. So proof of United has loads of money. Well, they do have money to spend because we've seen it in the bank account. Proof that United are going to spend is not going to be borne out during this summer alone. It's going to be next summer and the summer afterwards as well. And uh, if we go on the next five years, spending it in sort of net two or three million pounds a year, as has been the case in the last five years, then we'll know this was a one-off and it's actually nothing to do with the Glazers suddenly becoming generous. And it's, uh, it's all about United getting some expensive earners off the wage bill so they can spend a bit of money. And uh, at MUFC, Jeff asks whether we can have a discussion of the fact that fans can walk up to any match and pay at the gate. Is they can, and there's and and uh, as we're speaking, there's there's four thousand tickets available for the Spurs game uh, next Monday night. Oh, that's just absolutely mind-boggling, isn't it? Well, it's, there's a really good piece in the in the Guardian, I think, on Tuesday. It was David Conn talking about the costs of going to football, and United often held up as actually one of the cheaper ones in the. Premier League, despite the raises of the Glazer era. Well, they are, if you look at the cheapest price ticket, of course, they're far, far, far less cheapest price tickets than there ever used to be at Old Trafford. There used to be terraces all the way up in the Stretford end, the lower tier of the K stand and the lower tier of, of uh, United Road. And and that's no longer the case. There's two small blocks behind each goal now, the low t- lowest prices, and everyone else got absolutely hammered. And David Conn's piece is, is, is really good and looking at what the average uh, inflation rate was over the last 20 years since the Premier League was formed about 72% in total aggregate and what the average uh, increase in ticket prices so something like 700% it's, it's it's an incredibly expensive business and it's a combination of I mean the fact that, that tickets are on sale at United 4,000 tickets for a Monday night game which seems like a, a huge number I mean there there are a lot of people that are not renewing their season tickets in protest to the ownership you you know that that's a it's a significant number of people uh, there's a massive global recession and things are particularly uncertain at the moment once again so that's obviously has an effect on the amount of money that people have to spend and yeah ticket prices are going up and up and up it's getting more and more expensive to watch United it really is yeah it's interesting actually in in the states uh, obviously the Glazer family are owners of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well and and last season and the year before they'd seen falling attendances a because the Bucks were rubbish and b because the price had gone up so much now the Bucks actually had a, a much better season last year and, and many people believe that in, in the, the 
coming season they're going to do well and they've actually got a good season but they still aren't selling out the ground and in the NFL if you don't sell out your ground it's a blackout and uh, that means TV cannot cover the game and it's a way of ensuring that the grounds are full and there's good atmosphere and, and people actually go to games rather than TV coverage uh, reducing attendances which is actually I think a very good rule and two years ago what the Glazers did was start buying back the tickets that weren't sold which is an interesting tactic I've got to say claim you've got a full house because you've bought you know, 10,000 tickets yourself is that what they're doing at Eastlands? never anyone there is it? They, they had to stop doing that because it's not financially viable so they had blackouts all last season it looks like they're going to have blackouts now and, and so their response to that has been to cut loads of ticket prices they've cut parking prices they've cut season ticket package prices they've slashed the prices of junior tickets to I think $15 for under 18s can get in to see the Bucks now all of which you'd say actually that's a pretty good response to you know tough economic conditions and now they've got a good team and, and all of that you're thinking is a mile away from what's happening at United and the chances of the Glazers actually cussing the prices at Old Trafford are none zero zilch absolutely nothing right why I mean why are you so sure about that they have still managed to get almost sellouts I mean there, there's no there's never been a, an occasion where there's been 10,000 empty seats at Old no. Trafford they, they are mostly selling out so so even if there's a last minute rush and, and of course there will be a last minute rush because people have become accustomed to the fact that they can get a ticket the week before it will be on general sale you know even if you're not a member you can probably get a ticket for the Spurs game so people have been come accustomed to that even though it's a Monday night I'd hasten to add that I, I still think we'll see 75,000 at Old Trafford for Spurs on Monday night and and so what what's the incentive for them to cut right at the moment if, if, if they were if United were failing to sell out at, by some margin every single week then maybe the economics would work out it's better to sell more tickets than high average selling price but right at the moment it isn't at Chicharito 1488 has asked if we can shout out to all the United supporters in Germany especially to Paul I'm all in favour of shout outs to people called Paul so hello there um, and a question is is Jones better than the C-bomb in the defensive midfield position I, I wonder if he's suggesting that Carrick should be called the C-bomb I'm against that I'm pro Michael Carrick in moderation I'm not insane Michael Carrick can never do anything wrong and is Xavi and Iniesta rolled into one but nor am I Michael Carrick is evil and wrong and should be got rid of he's definitely not C-bomb territory to the Jones point I, I think this is one of those uh, things that happens where there's a, a collective understanding of something so yes he, he played quite a few games for Blackburn in that uh, midfield position but but that's a Blackburn team that was set up to defend uh, not a United team that's set up to attack uh, with ball players in the central midfield I don't see it happening Ferguson's already said he sees him the central defender I, I think there's no chance that unless there's a massive injury crisis in the central midfield that Ferguson is going to start regularly picking Jones in the central midfield he says look he's a good he's a good ball player but he is a defender and I, I don't think he's going to be picked ahead of Carrick or Cleverly or Anderson or Fletcher or any of the other options that uh, Ferguson could use in the centre of midfield. Excellent, thank you for that very thorough answer to that question, which I can't possibly disagree with. What's the starting lineup going to be in that Monday night match against Spurs? Then what are those seventy-five thousand people going to get to watch? There's no chance the Gay is going to get dropped. I mean, think of the damage to ooh, the lads' confidence that will do. And and then the back four, you know, aside from just a couple of positional decisions, it, it's going to be four from from Smalling 
Kane, Fabio, Evans, Jones, and, and potentially Evra will be back. And, and there are an awful lot of options there. It'd be interesting to see uh, who he plays in the centre of midfield because Anderson and Cleverly have done really well over the last couple of games. So you'd think that they are they are now the first choice option. Of course, not, not much of a defensive midfielder that Anderson has effectively played the holding role in those two games or one and a half games, I suppose. And then the Young's form is such that he almost demands to be in the side. That said, Giggs hasn't had much football. Carrick's not had much football. Park's not had any football. Berbatov's had almost no football. Um, will he stick with Welbeck, uh, who didn't have the best of games against West Brom? It uh, seemed a little bit off the pace. Uh, uh, obviously, Hernandez is not ready yet. Neither is Valencia. Uh, Fletcher's not quite fit. He played in the, the game on Monday night, so he's getting there. But I think we think uh, about three weeks away from match fitness. So mostly the team will pick itself. There might be one or two changes. I mean, how often do we see Ferguson not change his side? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he has to change the starting lineup from the West Brom game because of injuries to senior players. But I, I think he might play gigs in central midfield. Uh, it spurs. They're a, a much more significant attacking force than West Brom. I think West Brom are a decent side, but Spurs potentially could, could be challenging for Champions League place. My ridiculous pick last week pretty much guarantees that they're not, not going to actually get that Champions League place but they're, they're a really good side and they're, and they're certainly extremely good in midfield I mean I, we talked about this last season I think they they have a stronger midfield than we do they're vastly inferior to us uh, up front and on the wings and in defence but but I think just their midfield is probably better than ours there's a few questions Bell hasn't been uh, fit so that's a problem for him uh, this actually Lennon uh, Modric is his focus really on the game at the moment is, is Huddleston playing well or not because he's been inconsistent obviously Palacios they're trying to flog uh, so there are a lot of question marks over those Spurs midfielders at the moment and and Harry likes to chop and change and, and that might have not helped some of his key players so who knows they have plenty of talented players many with question marks over that didn't quite do enough last season to, to get the club into the, the Champions League yeah and uh, this is their first game of the season of course because they were the one fixture that was cancelled in the wake of the riots in Tottenham where it all kicked off well that's a really unfortunate turn of phrase since the, the game didn't kick off but yeah so, so they'll be super up for it I mean it's Spurs at home and therefore I can't not predict a United win because when do we ever not beat Spurs at home well 1892 no I, I don't remember the last time we didn't beat Spurs at home it's, it's a regular three points isn't it and uh, yeah we, you have to predict a United win now United playing pretty well home record uh, lots of players in good form uh, Spurs having not played probably undercooked uh, you'd, you'd expect a reasonably routine win yeah absolutely I think we might concede again I'm hoping uh, we concede a goal that De Gea can't do anything about whatsoever I think you know we are we are vulnerable with that back four if Smalling's on the right and Fabio's on the left so I, I, I think I'm going to say maybe 3-1 to United that's that's my score prediction no, that's a good score I, I perversely somehow I just don't think United are going to concede I think we'll keep the ball and, and yeah no cover in midfield and a very inexperienced back four and an inexperienced goalkeeper says we will but I'm, but I'm going to say 2-0 alright excellent scorers got any picks for scorers well I think I think Waz has got a score he looks in good form doesn't he oh yeah what a, especially with that hair what a goal by the way we didn't even talk about fine that fine finish fine fine finish yeah fine finish on, onto his left foot and then touch it away into the corner and we haven't really talked about it but it's super exciting to see that he's on fire at the beginning of the season after the disaster that was the beginning of last season he's continued his late season form uh, into the early part of this season for sure so far right, he's, he's got a licence to roam and I think it's worth him playing with Welbeck who, who also does roam but has been playing 
manual pace and, and is willing to work the channels in a way that, that Dimitar Berbatov does not. So I think it's, it's working for him. He's got, he's got loads of freedom. Rooney, he looks like he's in good form and playing well. And I'm going to back him to score at Old Trafford. So do you think that the the choice of Welbeck, I mean, Welbeck is sort of like a, a more direct replacement for Chicharito, even though they're, they're different players. But in terms of mobility and what he allows Rooney, it's much more similar. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not a, on the shoulder of the last defender player no. necessarily, but he's he's definitely one who he's got pace and movement. He's had to play those one touch, two touch balls and running behind defenders and all of that. So he's not really similar to Chicharito, but he offers more flexibility than, than Berbatov does. And which is which is tough on Berbatov because it looks like he might be sort of fourth choice at the moment. It's extraordinary. I mean, I, I know I bang on about it, but but watching Dimitar Berbatov play football is like good for the soul. You know, it's the, the aesthetic value. Football's a game, and he he plays it so beautifully, and and I, I think it's just a real shame that he isn't able to thrive at United. And I'd almost rather he left to go somewhere where he could thrive because it just seems really sad to me that that a player of that incredible quality should be fourth choice anywhere. And yet I can't, you can't disagree with the decision. You know, can't be banging the drum going, I should be playing Berbatov because that doesn't make sense either. You know, he doesn't, he he doesn't make sense within this United team really no but but there'll be there'll be times when when he does make sense this season he'll pl- get plenty of games if, if he stays I mean I guess there's still a question mark where, about whether he will uh, what about a, a move back to Tottenham Hotspur they need a striker no I don't think that's going to happen somehow they definitely do need a striker and that's one of the other reasons why I think United will win fairly comfortably They're, they are toothless up front at the moment Spurs and it was one of their major failings uh, last season and, and one of the reasons why they're, they're bidding for every striker on the planet and, and uh, it's difficult for Spurs because although they're prepared to spend money they are, they are a well-run club financially one of the, the effects of being a well-run club financially is that they have quite a low relative wage ceiling so they can't compete for the players that, that uh, United City Chelsea probably even Liverpool Arsenal and Real Madrid and Barcelona yeah and of course no Champions League football um, and no Champions League football yes talking of no Champions League football um, Arsenal scored one goal in the home leg against Sudanese kept that crucial clean sheet I think away goals count don't they in that stage of the Champions League but I would not be surprised if Udinese don't overturn that deficit in the away leg massive blow to Arsenal everyone knew it was coming losing Cesc Fabregas and Samir Nasri has he gone I'm not sure he's actually gone yet no but effectively it's done I mean the wage has been agreed for an awful long time and it is haggling over the price for Nasri which looks like it'll be some something in the region of 25 million and 160 to 180,000 pounds per week depending on which report you read but it, it may well be done before the weekend and it would be a significant addition to, to Manchester City's armory there and we, we talked about it last week but yeah uh, Arsenal in real trouble I think uh, you look at the, the lineup last night and you, you think well not only will they struggle to make the top four they might struggle to make Europe I mean, remember when I put this on Twitter and I, I got quite a bit of abuse back but you, you forget actually the only guaranteed Europa League places for fifth and and the re- the other two are dependent on the uh, Carling Cup and the FA Cup and of course uh, traditionally there's been one for the fair play as well because uh, uh, English sides tend to do quite well in that one so that they might well not qualify for Europe if they keep sliding backwards and it really depends on what work Finger can do in the transfer market in the next two weeks but but there's no signs that anything uh, really special is going to happen there and, and I th- think they look pretty unbalanced as a result and, and you can see how thin their squad is as soon as they get a few suspensions and injuries and they're quite fortunate to get away with it on Tuesday night and it's going to be a tough game in sort of northeastern Italy Samir Nasri I just don't understand that transfer I don't understand why he wants to go to Man City Ka-ching! <laughs> yeah, it, it seems bizarre. 
I mean, presumably United would have paid at least as much in wages or close to as much in wages. I heard talk that Arsenal didn't want to do a deal with United for Samir Nasri. I, I don't know the answers to these. I mean, it's all speculated. Yeah, may, maybe not. I mean, of course, that United aren't really Arsenal's rivals on the pitch at the moment. I mean, Arsenal, are, are, you would think, are not going to be challenging for the, the Premier League. It's just Man City seem a much more direct competitor with Arsenal than United do. That's that's It's confusing to me. But maybe Nasri just wanted to, you know, the maximum possible earning potential rather than the maximum possible glory potential, which we all know you have to wear the red of Manchester. We certainly do, and, and it will continue Monday night. Uh, I'm expecting another three points, uh, six out of six, and, and continue United's very strong start to the new season.